for James chapter 4, and James is continuing in his passage to, to address churches scattered throughout the region, and he's dealing with a topic, and he begins a topic that is pertinent to all of us, to every church, every believer, a topic that we all need to hear, just as these believers needed to hear. You see, something that we deal with on a, on a daily basis It's the conflict between our spirit, a renewed heart, and the world. Conflict between our heart and the flesh that we battle, that we war against on a daily basis. You see, James is railed against worldly wisdom at the end of chapter 3, and it's this worldly wisdom that produces conflict discord. Worldly wisdom says that we should gratify the desires of our, of our flesh above everything else. And James says at the end of chapter 3 that it is the wisdom that comes from God that truly produces peace. Wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit working in your heart, renewing your mind as you live by it, produces peace in relationships. You know, it's so easy for us. We, we look around and we're enamored by the things we, we see, we hear, we feel. Everything in this world appeals to our flesh. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says that the world around us appeals to our, our eyes, our flesh, and our pride. The world is full of things that, that look good. You see something nice and you want it. But you know what? It never quite lives up to that anticipation. When you're a kid and you're so wanting it to be Christmas and you're so excited and it gets to be Christmas Day and you're excited about your gifts, but then the next day you're kind of let down a little bit. Did it live up to the expectations and the, and the anticipation? No. And that's how it is for us. We, we anticipate something. We see it. It looks good. We want it and we get it. And then what? We're off to something new. It never quite lives up to what you hoped it would be. You want something new and, and you don't want anyone to question and ask you why do you want it. Heaven forbid you don't think about how much it costs you now or later. You just want it and you want it bad. You sacrifice all that you have to get that new thing and then you move on to something else. That's the desires of the world and the flesh. We see it in kids. I see it in my daughter. My son, I won't, I won't, I won't. Here, have a special treat. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Dada. I want something else and else. We don't vocalize it quite like kids, but it's still there in our hearts. It's our flesh. We battle against it. The things of this world. Proverbs 27.20 says, Hell and death are never satisfied. And so the eyes of man are never satisfied. The world around you appeals to your flesh in so many ways. It, it tells you the most important things in your life are, are that you should feel good. And it wants you to feel good all the time. And if a person or place or thing can deliver those good feelings, you will rejoice. Yet deep down, you know that happiness is only temporary. And then you're off to the next person, place or things that gratify those desires. 
Ecclesiastes 6.17, all of man's labor is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is never satisfied. The world around you appears to your pride. You, you think highly of yourself, naturally. My daughter said the other day, Dada, I, I love mama, I love dada, I love brother, and I love myself. We kind of laughed and used that opportunity to teach her that, yes, yeah, she does love herself. We're to love others is more important than ourselves, though. But that loving ourselves, that comes naturally. We think about ourselves and we think we're king among commoners or prince among paupers. We elevate ourselves. And the world says that's okay. If only people would listen to you, they wouldn't be in the situation that they're in. You would never make those mistakes that they make. You love it when people tell you how well you've done and how good your work is, but you hate it when they don't acknowledge that. Or worse, they tell you that it's not good. See, the world says that you should feed your pride and that you are great and you should be acknowledged for your greatness and your intelligence and your work. The world feeds that pride just like Satan told Eve that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would make her like God. We see all these monuments to man's pride all around us every day. And James knows that the allure of the world is ever around us and how it affects us. And he knows that this love can draw us out of the purity of our devotion to Jesus Christ. And James identifies the source, the source of conflicts and battles among you as an individual and among the body of Christ. And he says what it comes down to is selfishness, is worldliness. Basically, he says it's habitual friendship with the world. And the question we have to ask ourselves this morning as, as we deal with this passage, and we're only going to look at verses 1 through 3 this morning, but we deal with this passage, are you a friend of the world? And basically James, in the title of my sermon, is the unmasking of worldliness. Because when we look at the root of conflict, the root of things in your life, and in how you deal with others, it comes down to, are you being worldly? Four things this morning, four points. James says that there, he asks a question, he gives an answer. He says there's an outcome, and then there's a reason in verses 1 through 3. So question, answer, outcome, and reason. Make it very simple. So let's go ahead and look at the text, and then we'll dig in. So what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, and you ask, excuse me, and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So James, first of all, asks the question. The question is, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Now, he's addressing these believers specifically. 
Now, he, dresses, he, he introduces among you this phrase here in chapter 4, and he uses this phrase continually through the rest of the book. He has been dealing with just general topics of interest or things that he wants to address for all the churches in a general way up to this point. But now he starts getting very specific of things that he knows is going on. So he drives down even, and he's even more confrontational, as we'll see in the next couple sermons. He just, he just lays into them. Because as we'll see, friendship with the world is, is enmity, is, is being an enemy of God. And heaven forbid, any Christian wants to be God's enemy. And he says, what are quarrels and conflicts? And these, these quarrels are a protracted state of hostility. These are military terms. The word there for quarrel is, is a war. It's continual, ongoing fighting that doesn't stop. And the word conflict there, another military term, it's specific outbursts. We're talking about little battles. So what are the source of the, the battles and the wars among you? He asked that question. As I was thinking about that question, thinking about Titus. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says to Titus at the end of his life, to this young pastor, he says, Remind them, all the people in the congregation, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable and gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, Deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating and hateful towards one another. See, James moves from the, the peace that he spoke about in the end of chapter 3 to, to conflict in the church. Disorder. Have you ever thought about how some churches can be so disorderly and how divisions arise? You see... It's when worldly wisdom is present. Worldly wisdom working in people's lives and the selfishness in the outworking of that selfishness. They want what they want. And James sees this and he, he addresses it. And he offers an answer. And the answer is found in the second part of verse 1. He says, Is it not the source, or is not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members? He says, so the source, he, he wants to diagnose the correct answer, correct issue, the heart of the problem. Like my mother, when she was diagnosed with cancer, she went for a second opinion. Right? That's the wise thing to do. Because you, you don't want to address just the symptoms. You want to get to the root of the issue. Mr. Grant can take plenty of painkillers for his knee, but really, does it deal with the issue? No. We want to deal with the source. And James says, look, the source, the reason that you argue, you fight, it's because it comes out of your pleasures. Now, what's the word there for pleasure? The word there for pleasure, we actually use that Greek word. It translates into hedonism. This is the source of conflict. It's the, the pursuit and it, of enjoyment and pleasure above all things, all considerations. It's self-love. Right? We have a continual desire to make ourselves happy. We want to entertain ourselves. Right? We want to please ourselves, elevate ourselves. We want to fulfill ourselves. 
It's worldliness. The basic definition of worldliness is uh, devoted to the pleasures of this world. So hedonism in itself is an uncontrolled personal desire to fulfill every passion that you have. And selfishness is the root. You see, it's gone beyond mere desire. And James spoke to us about this in first, uh, the first chapter of James, when he says we're tempted and we're carried away by our own lust. And when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It's gone beyond the simple lust and desire to you've engaged those desires. You're fulfilling those desires. You're seeking after those desires. They become pleasures. You're enjoying those desires. You want those desires. And heaven forbid somebody stands you in the way of stands in the way of something that you want. Reminds me of Second Timothy as well. Second Timothy chapter three. Think about what we were and what we shouldn't be. In Second Timothy chapter three, verses two, he's talking about unbelievers, and he says, "For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful." arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. And look at this, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see, our desires that, that we give into become our pleasures. And our pleasures are where we're indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind above serving the Lord. That's the answer. Galatians 5, 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and His desires. Our passions, are our emotions, what drives us. We're going to be controlled by our passions, our emotions. We're to subject our emotions to the Word of God. Our emotions lie to us. Our passions deceive us. One of my counseling professors in seminary used to say that the, the flesh screams for what it wants. Don't trust your emotions. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's real. The truth is reality as God sees it. The truth according to His Word Titus 2, 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, rightly, and godly in the present age. 1 Peter 4, 2, Arm yourselves with the same purpose, so as to live the rest of your time in your flesh, in the body, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. You see, the world's wisdom says there's, there's no greater good than to seek your own happiness, to seek to be fulfilled, to be entertained. But James says this pursuit of happiness at all costs is, is why there's conflicts among you. It's why there's issues in your life. It's a war. James says that they wage war in your, in your members. And he's not talking about the members of your body individually. He's not talking about the, the, the church when he uses that term. And then they wage war, these passions, they're, they're fighting to have their way. Brethren, we have to be victorious, and we can be victorious. God gives us the grace we need to resist the flesh, 
to resist our desires. We have, if you have a new nature in Christ, if you've been redeemed, regenerated, if you've been born again, you have the capacity in yourself and through the strength of the Holy Spirit to resist the fleshly desires that so entice you. That's the difference between unbelievers and believers. Is unbelievers, we, when we were unbelievers, we were slaves to sin. We couldn't stop ourselves. But now we can. And the fight is constant. The fight against prideful arrogance, the fight against indulgence of our desires is every day. No wonder Paul says in Romans 7, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Longing to be with Christ Jesus. So should we. He says this in our members that the different parts of our bodies cry out for satisfaction, the, the cravings that we want, to, uh, we want to indulge. We have natural body cravings, but when they become a, a master over us, that's where they become sin. And that, that those, those desires, those cravings can be for food, for drink for safety, for companionship, or respect, or recognition. All of these things we, we naturally crave, but when they dominate us and they, they control us, they become indulgences. They become pleasures. Brethren, even though we've been born again, we, we have to battle against the flesh. We have to not give in to those desires. Not let them control us and master us. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, we want to be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, dominated by the Spirit of God, rather than dominated and controlled by our desires. Because once we give in, they become our pleasures, and we revel in them, and we, we, want, to, we want to fulfill them. Those fleshly desires will demand that you indulge in them. They demand that you make yourself feel good, that you enjoy yourself and entertain yourself, and you seek after recognition because you deserve those things. That's what your flesh tells you. All the while, you're merely being self-indulgent and worldly. That's James's question and the answer. And then he says there's an outcome for that. Don't think you can indulge your pleasures and of the mind and of the flesh and get away with it and think there's no consequences. He says, you lust, in verse 2, and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. And you do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask because you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, specifically in verse 2, he says, Look, you lust and you do not have. He says, you can't get what you want. Look at it. Three times he says, you do not have. You cannot have attained. You do not have. You can't get what you want. So what do you do? You lust. That, that's desire. You, you, those lustful desires. of The word there is epithume in the Greek. It's a concentrated desire for something to satisfy your flesh for your own gratification. It can be pleasures, like we've said. It can be entertainment. It can be even self-advancement over God's will. And honestly, this is in the present tense. So it happens over and over and over. So you lust, you desire, and you can't get what you want. He says you don't have, so you repeatedly, it's a present tense for you, Jordan, it's repeatedly, over and over, you can't get what you want. You're frustrated. You're angry. It's like my son the other day throwing a, a tantrum almost. 
in a store because he couldn't get what he wanted. He's so fixated on a, a toy truck that he loved and he liked and it enticed him. And he pouted and he cried and he and became angry at his sister who was trying to console him. He wouldn't be, wouldn't be consoled. And I had to rebuke him for his selfishness and his worldliness. Now, as adults, we've learned to hide that. We've learned not to show it. But it's still there in our hearts. Pounding on the walls of our hearts because we can't get what we want. And we're frustrated and we're angry. And that satisfaction and self-gratification has become an elusive goal. And James lays it out and he says, look, and he wanted this to shock us and shock these believers. He said, you don't get what you want, so you murder. Now, he doesn't mean literally killing somebody. But you hate in your heart to the point that you're willing to destroy that other person. You're willing to, to hurt them in any way because they stand in the way of your gratification. It's how you feel about others. This is the the extreme that frustration and anger can lead to. Someone's you can destroy someone's character and their reputation. So you, your your behavior has become destructive and unruly because you can't get what you want. This unfulfilled desire always leads to this destructive behavior. You're trying to fulfill those desires through, through any number of things. Could be pleasures, drugs, reputation enhancement, whatever you want. You're trying to, trying to fulfill those desires and you can't. And it causes division and it causes angst in your heart and you lash out at those around you. I was talking to my wife this week because before I brought this message to you, it battered my own heart. And I was talking to my wife and, and we got in an argument and uh, she reminded me of what I had just told her about my sermon. And she said, well, what do you really want? Right? You're being argumentative. What is in your heart that you're not getting? <laughs> and it's amazing that the Word of God is a mirror that reflects our own selves. And, and she was right. There's something I wasn't getting and, and I became argumentative and I had to check myself. Look, we all, we all smile and we nod when we see kids and we throw in tantrums and we, we either remember or, or think about our own kids or we've been around enough kids, we see that as a, a natural thing. But as adults, we hide it. We hide our own temper tantrums in our hearts. We don't get what we want. We don't like it very much. Now, for as adults, we may want more money. We may want more respect, more prestige, sexual gratification, companionship, power, or even escape, entertainment, holidays, and the like. And when these things aren't fulfilled through our possessions, through drugs, through alcohol, success, or even the affections of another person, the result is division and destructive behavior. Look at this, Cain so lusted after God's approval that what? He hated his brother and he murdered him. You see, that selfishness in the heart that comes out. It's the outcome of our, our worldliness. We can't possess what we want. James continues and he says, you are envious and you cannot obtain. 
You can't, you can't possess it. It's a little bit stronger than have. You can't possess it. it. It's not something you can take into yourself. And again, it happens over and over and over. It's our desire for good things. We see what other, others have, and we want it. We envy their position. We envy their wealth. We envy their, what they have and who they are. And there's a failure. Again, we can't obtain. There's a, a failure and a frustration. And that frustration and failure continually harass you. you you're successful in obtaining what you want, and those restrained desires are calling, causing division. Because you remember, sin always separates. Sin destroys. And when there's conflict, it's sin. It's selfishness in the heart. James says you're envious. You desire what somebody else has. It's a hot, intense feeling to possess something that somebody else has for your own selfish gratification. Be a person, place, or thing, or even an idea, like respect. And James says, look, what happens when you don't get what you want? You fight and you quarrel in verse 2. You can't have what others have, so you, you tear them down in your frustration and your anger. If only is what you say. If only you had what you wanted, things would be so much better. You would feel better. And all the universe would be rainbows and butterflies. That's what you say to yourself. But what really comes out of you because of your, your frustration is, is bitterness and disputes and gossip. Unfulfilled desires makes you a, a self-centered tormentor of others. And the people that, that you're tormenting don't even know you're tormenting them because you're doing it behind their backs. Think of the story of 1 Kings, many of you know it. Two harlots brought Solomon a baby. They both claimed that the baby was theirs. One mother said, oh, it, you know, the one, the one mother, she laid on it in her sleep and she killed it and then she switched him in the night. And Solomon, in his wisdom, said, bring me a sword. I'll cut the baby in two and give each woman half. Well, the real mom cried out, no, 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 let her have it because she loved the child. And the woman who is, whose child it was not says, no, that's fine, cut it in half. If I can't have it, she can't have it. Brethren, when you have unfulfilled desires and frustrated passions. You lash out at others and you say, well, if, if I can't do this or I can't have this, then nobody should have it. And it's destructive and it tears down relationships. It tears churches apart. Because it's not for God's glory, it's for your own. And you give in to those desires. You've allowed them to dominate you, control you. You're like that mother. And you'll lie and you'll cheat sometimes to get what you want. You'll gossip. You'll tear down others. Now, you might not be saying these thoughts to yourself, but when you gossip and you fight and you tear down others behind their back, you murder their character, that's what you're showing in your hearts. Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Brethren, beware of people like that. Beware of those that, that speak constantly behind others' backs because you don't know if they're speaking behind your back. 
you're in a group with people that are gossiping, you need to be the mature one and say, this is wrong. Don't gossip. What do you really want? James continues and he says, again, you, you fight and quarrel. And he says, well, look, there's a, there's a reason why you don't get what you want. Right? There, there's a, there's, and he actually gives two reasons. He says the first one in the end of verse 2 is, you do not have because you don't ask. And basically he says, is, look, in your state, you don't bother asking God for what you want. And your prayers, you're, you're, uh, we're praying to God, or you, you don't pray to God and ask Him for things because you know, one, you'll be confronted with the fact that what you really want is sinful, and the fact that, that maybe God won't give you what you want. I remember I, I was talking with a youth or gentleman in the youth group years ago, and he would always talk about he wanted this new Mustang, Ford Mustang convertible, not the horse. He wanted a Ford Mustang convertible. And he would talk about it, and he would talk about the things he wanted to do to it, add the rims and stereo and, and all these things. And he was about 17 years old, and I, and I just said, look, why don't you pray about it? <laughs> and very honestly, he looked at me and said, well, what if God says no? Well, that's James's point here. You don't pray about it because you don't want God to say no, right? And you don't want to have that, that intimacy with the Lord as, as you're, you're being reminded of where your heart is, right? You, you understand that deep down you, you're wanting what, you're want, what you want and you're trying to obtain it in your own efforts. And instead of wrestling with God with those desires, you wrestle with other people. And James says, you repeatedly, you repeatedly do not ask God. It's hard because when you're, when you're in the grip of your own selfish desires, when, you, when you've allowed them to master you and you're seeking after your own pleasures, you don't want to talk to God. One of those old adages I heard years and years ago in Bible college and continue even to hear now is, is sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you... Or, or sorry, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Sin, when we're, we're engaged in our sinful desires, we don't want to spend time in the Word of God. We don't want to pray. We don't, we don't want to seek after God's will because we want our own wills and our own ways. I've even heard people will quote Matthew chapter 7. And it's, it's sad. And I've heard people, and you'll see this sometimes even in the, the name it and claim it false theology of, of the uh, prosperity movement. But they'll say, ask and it will be given to you and seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened unto you. As if that was a... Uh, uh, God was a genie and I just had to rub him the right way and he gives me what I want. What they forget and what you forget when you quote that passage is that earlier in chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Right? So when we're praying, we, if we're seeking first God's kingdom, his will, his righteousness in our lives, then it makes sense a check and a break on our own desires. Because we, we honestly, before Him, we ask ourselves, is this glorifying to God or is this something I just, I really want? 
James says you, you ask. But he also says not only do you, do you not ask, in verse 3 he says you, you ask with wrong motives. The reason you don't get what you want and you, you don't get what you desire, and the word there, by the way, ask is repeatedly, almost beg. You're asking God, you're, you're begging God for what you want, and you don't get it because you ask for wrong, you're asking wrong motives. Because God cares about the motivations of your heart. Prayer is not the end in and of itself. It's not, like I said before, rubbing God as a, as a cosmic genie to get what you want. And the prayers, by the way, aren't wrong. James isn't saying don't pray for the things you desire. But he wants to have the right heart attitude in those prayers. And when that selfishness comes out in our prayers, then we're praying wrongly. You know, there's a church sign near where I grew up. They would change it regularly and they would have some witty, witty sayings. And, and sometimes they were funny and sometimes they were convicting. And one time they put up, we love Jesus alone. I was like, oh, that's a great sign. Yeah, I understand what they're saying. Later on in the week, there had been a big windstorm, and some of the letters came off, and it said, we love us alone. Often our prayers are like that, brethren. We, we pray for us alone. We pray for our own glory and our own pleasures and our own desires and instead of for God's glory and God's will done in our lives. You see, James continues and he says, look, you ask for wrong motives and here's what you really want. You want to spend it on your pleasures. So you, you want what you want so that you can spend it on your desires. The word there, spend, is, is to spend freely on yourselves. There's a, there's a wastefulness involved. Lord, let me have more money. I know I'm poor, and, but if I had more money, I would, I would do all these things for you, Lord, well, after I bought this nice car and this nice house and this beach place and went on vacation, I'll still do all these things for you. If only, Lord, you would give me some more money. You see, it's a wastefulness. You, you want to satisfy your desires rather than serve others. The idea, actually, the idea of the Greek is the word squander. You're squandering resources on yourself. Rather than praying, Lord, I could use some more finances to meet my needs and whatever excess I'm going to use to, to, to further your kingdom, I'm going to use to serve the body of Christ. Lord, I need more education, I need to go to school, and not just so I can get a better job to earn more money, but that I want to honor you in my workplace, I want to use whatever resources I gather, whatever knowledge I get to enhance and further your kingdom. You see, basically, when James is saying here, they're, they're putting their, their desires and their pleasures before Christ, their pursuits, their desire for, for whatever, whether it appeals to the eyes, the flesh, or, or the pride. We pray for health. People say, oh, Lord, just help me to be healthy. Ah, if I was only healthy, I could go snow skiing again and water skiing. It's not, Lord, help me to, to be healthy so that I may better serve you with the body that you've given me while I'm on this earth. Lord, help me to have a position so that, that, that I can indulge what I want in my own mind and have the respect that I deserve rather than saying, Lord, help me to have this position so that I may honor you and serve others. 
You see, God doesn't care. God doesn't listen to prayers with wrong motives. And when you look at Isaiah chapter 1, I encourage you to turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 1. It's such a, a beautiful passage in Isaiah of, of just how God desires true worship and worship in the right heart and the right mindset. Let's look at verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 1. And this is, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, just as a context note, Gomorrah and Sodom here, he's, he's addressing the city of Jerusalem and the people of God and saying they're like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, What are your, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and the, the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs or goats. When you appear before me, who requires you of this, of trampling my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. Oh, I cannot endure the iniquity and the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And so when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yet even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered in blood. You see, God doesn't care. God, God cares from prayer and He cares for our worship from the right heart. And James is saying, all you want, you're asking God for things that you could spend on your pleasures. And what's the answer? Look at verse 16. Get this reminds you of many New Testament passages. Wash yourself and make yourself clean. That's the idea of repentance. So he says, repent. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Stop sinning. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop pursuing after your fleshly desires. He says, cease to do evil. He says, what? Learn to do good. How do you learn to do good? You learn good. What's good is in God's Word, given by a good God. And he says, seek justice. Seek to treat everyone rightly, whether they deserve it or not. He says, reprove the ruthless. Admonish those that are unruly. Admonish those that are given over to their sin. Rebuke the gossip. Defend the orphan and plead for the widow. It means loving those that are helpless. Loving others is more important than yourself. God's Word is consistent in this. It's consistent in, in how we should treat others and, and how we should seek after God with the right heart. It's impossible to please God if you're seeking and you're living your life in pursuit of pleasures above all things. See, God rejects those prayers. He doesn't listen to those prayers. He doesn't give them what they want. Brethren, seek forgiveness for the Lord. Seek forgiveness for, for how you've acted. Or your prayers are hindered. First Peter 3, 7 is talking to husbands. And it says, show your husbands the honor that they deserve or your prayers will be hindered. I just think sometimes, how terrible would it be? How really terrible would it be if God actually gave us all our selfish prayers? Right? 
the things that we ask for that elevate ourselves and indulge ourselves and promote ourselves. Brethren, I just ask that as I've done this week that you would do this life and you would spend time in self-examination. Are the conflicts, the battles between you and others, look at where the source is. The source is your selfish desires, seeking after the pleasures in your life, the things you want. Are you a person that spreads conflict and strife? Are your words gossip and slander? If you are, then you're, you're living in the flesh. You're seeking the things of the world to make you happy instead of God. Repent of that. Ask God for forgiveness, and He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Seek to be restored with those around you that, that you've slandered and gossiped about. Reject that speech, that hatred in yourself. And don't tolerate in others, brethren. What a, you want to see a mature group of believers is one that don't tolerate slander and gossip in their midst. There's plenty of things to talk about without talking about others. You want to engage in words that are edifying, that bring people up. And if you, if you stop listening, that person will soon move on to someone else who will listen to his complaints. Your primary goal must be the use of heavenly wisdom in your relationships. Do you love others as more important than yourself? Do you seek their welfare as more important than yourself and your own welfare? Do you seek for others to be honored and respected without any thought for your own self? Do you seek God's glory? Do you direct others to Jesus Christ? Do goodness and mercy follow you wherever you go? Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Well, Christ has given us a new heart and He's changing our desires. And our desires should be for Him, His honor, His glory, to know Him. Can't help but think about Philippians, one of my favorite passages in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty pride, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, what? That was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then came his exaltation. Brethren, God calls for humility self-sacrifice, a worldliness and a desire to please yourself with the things of this world will never honor God. Sin separates, sin destroys, and an unfulfilled desire 
not controlled will become your master. And as you think about yourself and what you want and what you like and what respect people ought to pay you, nothing will be good enough for you. Everything will be miserable and nothing will satisfy. Brethren, draw near to God. Humble yourself, knowing that Christ alone can satisfy you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. He will fulfill you. He will give you what you need, not always what you want. But He's a good God and He knows what's best for you. The call for us is to, is to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Jesus, to love God above everything in this world and to love others is more important than ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for just a challenge this morning to address the selfishness in our own hearts, to address the things in our lives that separate us from you and separate us from others. For we know sin separates and sin destroys. Search our hearts, O Lord. Show us the things, even now, that we're guilty of indulging, the pleasures, the desires that at times can dominate us, control us. Father, give us the strength to honestly confess and repent of those sins and cleanse us from the unrighteousness that so overcomes us at times. Father, give us grace. Help us to to wage the battle against the fleshly desires. Give us strength to, to serve you, to honor you, Draw us near to you, Lord. Renew our minds through your word so we we know what pleases you and honors you so that we may seek your will above our own. Father, help us to show our love for you and our actions and what we say and what we do and how we treat others and not just be merely lip service and, and abominable worship from an impure heart with wrong motives. Father, we we thank you. We thank you that we have forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you that your word addresses the areas in our heart and our lives as a mirror reflects our own souls and we give thanks to you. Father, we love you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.